Greetings, welcome, and good day. You are now tuned into the 19th episode of the Season Vet Podcast. I'm so happy you could make it to another chapter of this show. This week, we're joined by a retired Air Force captain. Captain Ashanta Murphy enlisted in the U.S. Air Force right out of high school and never looked back. Her career began as a cook and fitness center attendee and ended with her being a sexual assault prevention response coordinator. She went from being enlisted to being an officer and from active duty to being in the Guard. No shade to the active duty units, but she did seem to have a strong preference for the Guard. (laughs) Captain Murphy may have retired from a busy life in the military, but she's still busy being the founder and CEO of a delightful sweet treat company that makes all kinds of tasty desserts and ships them around the world. I want to make sure we all know the name of her company so we all remember to order something from her website after you finish listening to this interview. And that's why I'm calling this episode Bundles for You. Friend! <laughs> How's it going? Hi, Hi how you doing? Everything's great. Awesome, awesome. Uh, oh my goodness. So if you don't mind my asking, uh, what is your name and what is your connection to the service? My name is Ashanta, and I am now a newly retired Come on. from the Air Force. I'm so excited about having that title. Did you say retired uh, from the Air Force? I said retired. Yes, ma'am. Come on. All right, what was your rank again? I was a captain. Oh, three. Jesus. All right, here's why I asked again, because uh, I think I uh, blurted over you when you said that the first time. I was like, that's real rude. Uh, let me let me go ahead and ask her again in this case nobody heard her because of uh, me being loud and boisterous. <laughs> no, it's okay. Ret- Get it. I love it. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so if so you- I was... Come on. Yeah, go ahead. So I was, you know, um, in high school as a youngin'. Mother and father grew up in home with me. My dad served in the Air Force way prior to my, my birth and even prior to him meeting my mom. Um, he, when he separated, he was just an E3, but, you know, he served in Germany. He served in many places. Um, but again, he left the Air Force and got a civil service position that was way better for him and his family at the time. I have six brothers, um, five of them who served in various branches of the military. As a teenager, my parents stressed the most import, the importance of being independent and getting an education. And at the time... I decided that I was going to join the Air Force. Um, I was so much interested by the incentives that they had, uh, knowing that my college would be paid for. So that's a little bit about how I um, have been connected to the service. Christ, most of your family is in the military, and specifically the Air Force. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Nice. So are they all officers or are any of them enlisted? Your brothers? No, so my brothers, they're actually way older than me, and they all got out um, in the enlisted ranks. Um, None of them were officers, Um, and I I have a brother who's closest to me here in Texas, and he served, I believe his rank was uh, E6 when he uh, retired, and so um, I think I'm the only, I am the only child of my father, my late father, um, to go into the officer rank. Right on, right on. Man, that's phenomenal. Here's the reason why I was asking if, if any of them were enlisted or if, yeah. Um, because I enlisted in the uh, Air Force straight out, well, not straight out of high school, like a year uh, after uh, I was in college. And uh, I had what you know is an AFSC. So I had a, uh, <laughs> I was a uh, aircraft mechanic. So I was just trying to see like, if they were enlisted, do you know like what their, their jobs were? Oh, yeah. But, but so also, if they're that much older than you. <laughs> yeah, they were, um, I think only one was the Air Force, and the others were, all the others were Army and Marine. Right. Wow. Y'all are tough. <laughs> all right. Man. If You know what? If I keep saying that y'all are tough, though, like, uh, my Coast Guard homegirls are, are going to start blowing up my phone. So I, I'm going I'm to I'm scale it back a little bit. Y'all I. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's a plot. <laughs> so the air force was your uh, first branch of service then is that right yes right yes. on right on um go ahead so the air force was my first choice uh, because truth be told all the other branches were really not my style you know i'm a girly girl i really wanted to keep that um presence and i wanted to feel like a girly girl while i served so that's why i chose the air force but also because my ASVAB scores and all um 
actually got me to the Air Force first before any other branch. Right on. So how do you feel about your time in uniform? Does any particular time period stand out to you? So serving in the military has phases, just like other aspects of life. Uh, When I was first joined, um, it was all based on incentives and what I could get out of it. Uh, But as I progressed through my career, I began to realize exactly what my purpose was while I was serving. Uh, There's many ways to serve. But for me being in the Air Force, being that I was able to help others overcome some things. Um, It was the most amazing feeling. Uh, A little over about seven years ago, I took a position uh, that connected me to people, but in different ways other than just doing a job. Like when I first joined the military, I was a cook. I worked in a fitness center. I did things to um, help other people with their day, not necessarily being connected to their emotions and feelings and things like that, but just doing a job. Um, but the last seven years of my career was very pivotal in how I live my life today because I was able to serve as a sexual assault prevention and response coordinator, both in the military, but also on the civil service side. Um, it allowed me to directly impact so many lives. And that's really what I live for every day. You know, I really live to make a difference in every individual that I come in contact with. And so, While I was in a phase of incentives initially, I left the military with a phase of purpose. So there's different ways and different phases. I think Um, in the middle somewhere is when I really realized that, you know what, this is not about me. It's about everybody else. It's about serving my country. And what does that mean? You know, most people think, oh, go to war, shoot guns, pow, pow, bang, bang. But really it means just teaching people and showing people that, you know, regardless of what walk of life you come from, you still have the ability to be whatever you want to be. And you still have the opportunity, if the opportunity is given to you, to succeed in life and everything that you do. So my last seven years, I believe, was the most stressful period of my career, but it was also the most rewarding period of my career. I know that's right. Making the world a better place. Yes, ma'am. Every day. Right on. Right on. So what were you doing before you got into a sexual assault and prevention? I, I mean, you said that you were a cook and you said that you worked in a gym, but like, it, was that the other, like, I want to say 13 years and the last seven years were sexual assault and prevention? So as a new 17 year old going into the military, I went in as an E1. Mm-hmm. Um, my career started off as a cook. I was a cook for the first three or four years. And then I went into the gym as a personal trainer. And I also was a part of the gym staff where I ran the front counter, handed out towels and things as I was on active duty. Um, I also worked in lodging where we, you know, make sure that the bed down was fine. I did deployment plans and things like that. Um, mortuary was also a part of my career field throughout though that first 10 years of my career. Um, and I say that because, you know, I've been on the search recovery team. We had an incident in Okinawa, Japan, where we had to prepare to do the walk and, search for body parts because there was a plane that crashed. So, you know, just being a part of multiple types of careers within one career field. My AFSC was, I was a 3MO, which I was a services apprentice initially when I started out. So there is many different areas of that career field encompassing, and you have to pretty much touch them all. But once I commissioned, I commissioned into the officer role of that AFSC, which is was a personnel officer. And basically, it runs your HR portion of the military, your uh, awards, decorations, retirements, um, the contracts to bring people in, recruitment, all of those different offices fall under the uh, what we call our force support squadron. And I was a uh, force support officer within that squadron. So even though, you know, I did the the gym and all those things as an enlisted member, I touched everybody in my wing because they had to come to the personnel office for something, uh, for ID cards, whatever it may be. Um, my initial role as an officer for the first two years, I did HR and then I moved into the military equal opportunity era. And then after I had MEO for a couple, uh, about, let me see, two years, then I left MEO and went to sexual assault full time. Meanwhile, all these different areas fall under one uh, AFSC, which is the 38 Papa personnel officer. Um, it was just recently over the last three or four years where they removed the 38 Papa from the military side. And so now it's strictly civilian where I was, um, 
went back to HR doing all of the personnel actions and things like that. And on the civilian side, as a GS employee, I was a sexual assault prevention and response coordinator for the insane, the same unit throughout the same time. So it's a little bit complicated to um, explain. However, just know that I did two jobs for the last seven years of my career pretty much. <laughs> you did a phenomenal, a phenomenal job of explaining. Um, what I gathered is you've been in service your entire career. <laughs> <laughs> you yes, you've been serving you've been serving the people your whole career. It wasn't just the last seven yes. years; it was the whole time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Indeed, indeed. How do you think your your experience could have been improved, or could it have been? So, I think as a young airman, I was very naive. I really didn't think bad things happened to military people. As an African American, I thrived because I was doing something that my peers wasn't doing. Um, but I think my experience could have been improved if I had choices like our newer gen- military generation today. You know, they get more choices. They have, you know, you can wear whatever color shoes you want. Well, back when I came in, you could only wear black or white. Um, we were stuck in the good old boys system for a very long time. You know, there was very little room of moving around and doing things and promoting and all those things because it was about who you knew and not what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that because I lived in a military era where it was do as I say and not as I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just about 10 years ago when I commissioned is when I really began began to feel that shift where the military really strived to get rid of that good old boy system to, you know, kind of cut down on nepotism because I went from active duty to going into the Air National Guard and from the, in in the Air National Guard, you know, you have brothers and sisters and cousins and moms and dads and grandparents who Mm -hmm. all work in the same unit, work for each other, under each other and all those things. So it it does put a little bit of, um, uh, a little bit of a block in how you promote and when you promote and things like that. But like I said, about 10 years ago, I really felt a strong pull on, okay, guys, we have to be fair regardless across the board. And I think that now today I I would say that um, improvement has happened. Um, And it didn't really affect me as an airman. However, it affected my airmen. So that's how I can, you know, speak to that. Good. You saw the change happening. Yes. Good. Is it fair to say that you were a part of the change? You were a part of the good part? Absolutely. Heck yeah. Love it. And I say, you know, and it's very unique because being a part of the change means that you have to be diverse. Mm -hmm. And coming out of the EO office and and also being in the HR realm, diversity is something that was very near and dear to my heart. I was not the person to make any of the decisions of hiring and doing things like that in most cases across the wing. However, I never worked at the squadron level until my last two years of service. I always worked for the wing commander or the group commander, which are the two highest commands at any unit. Mm -hmm. And so... I had that influence and being African-American and being a black female officer sitting at the table with all white men or a mix of white men and white women. And the only African-American female sitting at the table really bought change, really bought diversity, really bought perspective to those who just weren't um, knowledgeable. And so I really feel like I had a lot to do with at my unit in particular um, to do with some of the change that happened around there. So you think the Air Force takes diversity and inclusion more seriously now than it did? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Love it. Love it. You saw the change, and it's really happening. I do love knowing that that can happen. When you brought complaints up to your chain of command, do you feel that you were heard? So absolutely. Um, I was just lucky in my career to work with some of the best leaders. I never had many issues. Um didn't have any issues talking to any of my commanders either. Going back to my last statement, you know, I was very confident and very knowledgeable about laws, rules, regulations. Um, Because of the position that I was in, there was a lot of things that I had to know and things that they didn't know. So they they, um, wanted me to be their eyes and ears. Like, they trusted me because, you know, they didn't have the time to – learn the things that I was required to know um, and to teach them. So I really didn't have that problem of knocking on the door, making sure that something was brought to their attention and they actually dealt with it. Um, If there was a problem, they always addressed it and addressed it in the most professional way. So I really didn't have any issues when it came to um, bringing complaints to my chain of command and, and making sure it was addressed. You made them take you seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. And I think, um, you know, 
if we go back to question five mm-hmm. uh, about the experiences, <laughs> I was um, just about to. Ask, I'm sorry, I asked these out of question, out of a uh, order. And you're right, I should have gone with five first. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. I, I skipped um, so right I, over it. My bad. Hey, tell me about a time when you experienced something either good or bad that you know to be unique to you because you are a black woman. So I think as a black woman, it's important to recognize how people treat others around you and then compare that to how the people treat you. Um, I can honestly say that there was one instance of an officer asking to mentor me as a junior officer, and this person compared me to others who they mentored and how successful their mentees were. Uh, But the problem that I had with that officer was that they were Caucasian, and so were the others that they mentored, that they got to this high success level. Um, I really felt like I didn't fit the mold. But in that instance... I declined because I wasn't comfortable with having a mentor who knew nothing about being a person of color in the role that I had. Um, Right. You're facing things that other people are not facing. Right. Absolutely. That wasn't even a fair comparison. Um, No. So that person then told me that they were intimidated by me. (laughs) What? Um, Wait, a person that was, hold on, a person that was supposed to be mentoring you. So it's fair to say that they are higher ranking than you. Uh, Yes, they are. So, he said that he was intimidated by you? They told me they were intimidated by me. Um, they elaborated on how they wished they were like me and what the hell? be able to control the room when they walked in and also how I'm able to stand firm and not allow people to push me over so professionally. Um, in this instance, <laughs> excuse me, I was like, you know, I felt I, I really asked the question, are you afraid of me because I'm black? And the answer was no. I admire your confidence. And in my spirit, in that moment where most people would be like, oh, that's a bad thing that this person, you know, is is intimidated by another person. Well, me, I felt like it was a good thing because I felt like I was doing exactly what I should be doing. Um, I had the confidence that somebody else wanted. I had the confidence to be able to tell leaders, generals, Nope, that's not going to happen. We'll work around it. But, you know, in such a professional manner, I saw it as a good thing. Um, That officer confirmed that basically I was doing exactly what I should be doing in that environment. So while I declined the mentorship, that officer and I are now, well, that officer and I are now really close or closer because they admired the God in me. They admired my ability to lead without fear, my ability to lead without questioning. Um, They admired my strength and my confidence that I had. So they were able to come to me and say, Hey, you know, I have this problem. I need your help versus, you know, initially it was a little bit uh, you know, we're always defensive when somebody tells us no. So initially, I just felt like that person was defensive. But so he started coming we... to you for problems and coming to yes. you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Ashanta, aren't, so, aren't problems supposed to go up, not down? Like complaints are supposed to go up the chain of command, not down. <laughs> he, he was well, coming. Well, actually, <laughs> in that they they are, but I think because of the role that I played in my unit. Anybody could come to me with anything, and I had a way of addressing it without people knowing who it was. And so I think, you know, that person felt confident and comfortable with me being able to do that after, you know, me telling them that, hey, you know, I don't want to be a commander because she wanted to mentor me as a commander. And I was like, I don't want to be a commander. That's not what I joined the military for. I want to be who I am today, and that is the captain leading the sexual assault prevention and response program. Right on. Right on. And you did that. <laughs> did that. Did that. Very well. Apparently. Apparently very well. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, man. I, I think this next question kind of has been answered a little bit, but let me go ahead and get it. Uh, in the beginning of your career, when you needed guidance and mentorship, were those resources provided or did you have to seek them out? Um, at the beginning of my career, I was really young, right? So I was 17, just going with the flow of things. I had a few great mentors, but once I became an officer, I had to do a lot of figuring things out. 
Um, there weren't many examples of African-Americans in leadership positions, so I had to seek them out myself and work hard to maintain those relationships, um, some near, some far. But I will say that as a young airman, it was most people didn't have time to sit down and talk to you. They just want you to get your work done, go home, do whatever you're going to do, don't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. But as an officer, I developed many relationships across all diversities. And I think that that's what really helped me become the better person that I am today. But also, I had to maintain those relationships, even um, some of but some of I'll tell you that some of the harder relationships for me to maintain were those of African-Americans. Wait, those were harder relationships to maintain? Yes. May I ask why? Was it distance? Leading to the next question. <laughs> um. Hold on. Let me ask it. So, Ashanta, have you been able to make friends with other Black Lady veterans? And are you purposeful about building your village? So I have definitely made friends with other Black female veterans, um, some whom have worked for me, some whom I worked with, and some who were my clients. Um, I have several Black female veteran friends who are officers and still serve today. I am purposeful about building my village, but I will say that my village is diverse because um, a lot of times African-American females feel intimidated by other African-American females because there's not many of us in the positions that we're in. Um, We've had in my career and my unit over the last 10 years, it was three African-American females, one whom was only there for a very short period of time, went to another unit, one whom was in a very high leadership position, did not say much to me, did not volunteer to mentor me, um, was very ugly, rude, and was fired initially. And then it was me. And so for about five, four years, I was the only African-American female officer in my unit. That's disheartening. I hate hearing that. Look, when when I was in the uh, Coast Guard, I assure you, every black woman I met was my friend immediately. <laughs> like we, we would just immediately form a bond. But that's that doesn't happen in in the leadership in the Air Force. That's really that's well. Weird. I wouldn't call it the Air Force. I would say because I went from active duty as an active duty um, African American female airman. Even the leaders who were in position on active duty, they always felt like you were coming after their jobs. Everything is so competitive on active duty. When I went to the Guard, there weren't many of us. Um, As an African-American female, I was the only African-American female for a very long time as an enlisted member. Um, It was probably like two or three of us when I first got there. Then people retired, and it was me. Fast forward to becoming an officer in the guard in the same unit, same unit. I've been with the same unit this entire time. Um, I was the only African-American female officer for the last four years of my career. Okay. So when you were enlisted, you didn't have a lot of black lady veteran friends? No, Man. I only had a few. It was a few, but not many. Wait, were you... We're still friends today. Like two of us. We're still friends today. Good. I'm glad to hear you got to. So were you just like not exposed to a lot or were you exposed to just very few and those very few didn't work out? Well, I would say it goes both ways. So at that time, the Air Force was not as diverse. There weren't many black females. Um, There were more black men than there were women. And then as time went on, those black women were in leadership positions. So you don't befriend your leaders. And that is one of the things that, you know, Wait, why not? Why don't you be for new leaders? What what, what rule is that? Well, active duty culture um, (laughs) doesn't allow that, if if I may say with a lack of terms here. It doesn't allow for you to be friends with the people who work for you. And so it was just really hard to maintain those, you know, relationships because you only work for that person. Whereas the peers who were African-American females you had relationship with them and you were able to, you know, you were maintain to those. And yeah. I have a few of those. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, you know what? Let me go, just go ahead and name one more uh, black lady veteran that I know you're friends with. And I am friends with her too. Uh, shouts out to Lisa Spotwood, uh, the wonderful black lady veteran who put you and I in contact with each other. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know what? She's like a mom to me. So I don't consider her a friend. I consider her my <laughs> mother outside of my late mother. So, you know, um, 
Lisa has always been there for me. She's always, you know, picked up where mom left off. We live right across the street from each other as a child growing up. She's always been proud of me. She's always celebrated me. She's always supported me. And, you know, um, her daughter and myself were like sisters. I love this. Both of her kids. um, You got a lot of black lady veteran friends. I'll tell you what, Shotsy, you are, you are loved. (laughs) Look, if if Lisa Spotwood is in your corner, who can be against you? (laughs) Exactly, right? All right, tell me a war story, a story where you were tested, but you came out on top. So when people think war, I'm just going to go here real quick. They they most are congruent with guns, fighting, deployments, you know, but most people, when they think war, they think, you know, when you're talking to the average American when they think war, they think about what they can see on TV. Mm-hmm. They don't think about the other aspects of the military and what we bring to the table. Most people associate being a veteran with brutal violence that can be seen. However, I'm probably going to shock some people when I say I have never deployed to an austere environment. I've deployed in supportive wars, but not directly to the locations. Um, Honestly, I may have congratulations. Done some training stuff. Good. Well, you know, some That's people not... may look at it as congratulations, but other people may say, well, what, did, why, you know, how does she get to be X, Y, and Z. And I'll tell you that um, war can be mental as well as what you can see. Mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. tell you for the last seven years, I have fought a war every single day um, as a SARC, fighting policy, fighting procedures, civil laws, federal laws, all of these things in support of an individual who's fighting a war within themselves to make themselves feel good enough. The war against violence amongst each other is every day in our society, but it's also in our military. The war I fought was for our mental health freedom. It wasn't specifically for the country's freedom, but it was because if our people aren't mentally stable enough to fight, Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm then we can't fight the war outside of the United States. And so every day my job was to ensure that the people who was in direct contact with me, anybody who walked into my office knew that I was going to go fight for them, regardless of what the outcome was. I'm going to fight for you. That was the war that I fought every day. And that's important. Like If you can't be, if you're not mentally ready, you're not going to be physically ready. <laughs> right. It all starts within yourself. Yeah. You, you did that. <laughs> exactly. But you know, I think one of the things that the military did for me was they trained me to be a professional in the military, outside of the military and for my family, friends, church members, Walmart, uh, citizens, whomever. Um, it really equipped me with the knowledge, tools and abilities to help every person, no matter your age, race, sex, or religion. All right. Do you feel that the way you were treated improved with rank? Um, so I feel like my voice was bigger as I increased in rank. As an E1, I almost didn't have a voice unless someone wanted me to do something that would benefit them. Um, as I moved up in rank, I realized that I was equipped with the ability to lead far greater and to make decisions that would impact my airmen better than those leaders who were leading me at that time. When I was a staff sergeant, you know, I was like, man... I wish we could do it this way. I wish we could do it that way. Oh, I wouldn't have, you know, told that person that, or I would have let them go to church today or whatever the case may be. But unfortunately I wasn't in a leadership position to do so. So in that moment, I was almost at my 10 years. I was right there on the cusp of having to either reenlist or get out. Um, And I was like, well, I don't want to do 10 and, you know, regret my past 10 years. So let's see if I could become an officer because I feel like, I need to sit at the table with the leaders who are leading us today. And uh, fast forward just a few months before me having to make a decision to get out, I actually was selected for an officer position. I went through the process. It wasn't an easy one, but it was worth it. It was worth it for each person that I've had to come in contact with. It was also worth it for the leaders who were basically um, categorized me as that uh, the witch with a different first letter of the unit um (laughs) yeah you know you can just say the word (laughs) they actually ended up having to work for me and we oh wow 
yeah, we realized that we were so much in common and that that person today is one of my biggest people that I go to because that person led me to becoming Dr. Murphy soon. That person led me to leading. That person gave me my first salute when I graduated from officer training school. I love Um, it. But I'll say that once I did commission, I did feel respect. I did feel the camaraderie and I did feel the need of, um, I had that feeling of being needed by others. Um, so that's, that's how it improved in rank for me. I love that. You, you really turned that situation around. <laughs> and, you know, and to this day, I really never said it to anyone. It felt really good. <laughs> of course um, it did. <laughs> it felt really, really good. But I have so much respect for that person. Oh, my gosh. Like, I love him and... You know, if I had to call him today, I know he would be in my corner. He made me who I was because he wasn't a bad leader. I recognized that he was in a space in his life where he couldn't lead us the way that he wanted to lead us because he was dealing with things. And I get that. But it wasn't until I actually crossed on the other side being an officer where I could sit down and talk to him and realize that, man, he wasn't really treating me bad. And he was a doctor himself, like he's doctor. And I get it going through my doctorate program. I was like, holy crap, that's why he kept making me do this and that and this and that, you know, but it made me who I am today, because if it wasn't for him teaching me all the things um, about becoming not just a great airman, but a doctor, I wouldn't have the reputation that I have because all of those tools that he put in my back pocket, I had to use them in my job because I have to know I don't get a chance to make mistakes I have to give you the reference I have to be able to regurgitate the laws rules and regulations I have to know what I'm talking about when it's time for me to take the stand in the courtroom for this victim of sexual assault like I know that I have to know that I have to know and it was him who put me in that position to be the person who I am today all right it was a learning situation it was which is why I accept his salute that's what's up I asked him to be there for me because Love yeah, it. it was tight when we were enlisted, but once I became an officer, it was like, man, this is the guy right here. <laughs> Has there ever been a tough situation that you were in where another sister helped you out or you helped out another sister? Well, um, I feel like I'm always being helped by my peers, but more specifically, I felt like as an officer, I was in competition with other black female officers at my unit. I think I said this a little earlier. Yeah, and I Um, hated that, man. Dang, I really... Yeah, there was only one other person. Uh, She kind of treated me like crap. She wasn't very pleasant. She didn't desire to mentor me. Um, She, Like I said, she was fired and forced to retire. My experience with black female veterans has been very few because there's not many of us. Um, The one experience that I've had, my roommate in officer training school she's been the closest to me and we're still friends today Um, my chief when I was enlisted she was like a mother to me but a very distant mother because again like I said back then when I came in 20 years ago 23 years ago as an enlisted member you weren't really close to your leadership but she spoke up for me when I needed it she looked out for me when the men in the unit were stressing me out she gave me opportunities to be in the spotlight you know funny story is I hung my my uniform on the fire spigot in the room and I went to take the hanger off to get ready for work Uh and it popped that little red line that you see in it and when it popped every sprinkler went off in my room damaged I mean (laughs) millions of damage to this building right this chief went for bad for me she's like listen She's young. She's 17 years old. Literally had no idea that that was going to happen. You know, it was an act. It was truly an accident. But African-American chief, Chief Riley is her name. I don't know where she is. I love her. Love her. Love her. Um, Well, I do too now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, you know, that's the kind of, you know, um, relationship that I had with that particular person. But, you know, other than that, Look, you as needed that as, lady. You needed that lady to go to yes, that. You were a baby. 17, you were yes. a baby. I was a baby. Yes, I was. 
Yeah, 17 year olds normally don't know how to stand up for themselves, especially in military situations. So I'm glad somebody had your your back. So uh, how long did it take your uniforms to dry out? (laughs) Well, you know, they evacuated the building and luckily it was just my room and the room under me who had water damage really bad. They made me move out of my room for a little while. They made sure that it was aired out, uh, make sure that the baseboards and all dry. The great thing about it is it only messed up the things that were in my room. Like what was in my closet Mm -hmm. didn't get touched. So my closet was completely dry. Uh, The floor was wet, of course, sloshy, but my bed covers got washed. Like nothing of my personal value was really damaged because it was either in a book or my room was pretty clean. So it wasn't anything just laying out. My bed was actually made and literally I was putting my uniform on to go to work (laughs) at like four o'clock in the morning is when this happened. And so, of course, everybody in the dorm was all they were all pissed at me of course. To get up <laughs> because it set the fire alarms off. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, I, th- I lived, I lived through it another 20 years. Good, I mean. good for you. <laughs> Wait, was this, I, I know that wasn't at boot camp. It couldn't have been. Was that at tech school? No, this was at my first duty station. Seymour okay. Johnson Air Force Base. Yes. Okay. Okay. You moved through real quick. Okay. You must've joined you must have gone to boot camp like the summer that you graduated high school actually i went december 15th okay of 2000 yep you know what congratulations to go for going to boot camp in the winter because you know uh shepherd air force base (laughs) in this no i'm sorry not shepherd lackland air force base in the summer my year we got black flags like every day they would ignore the black flags sometimes and still make us do push-ups on the concrete (laughs) actually side question Now, you said that you weren't able to be close to your leadership, even when they were like other black ladies. And I do understand that. I get where that thinking would come from. Do you feel like that was just something that's exclusive to black people? Because like you got to know that there were young white airmen that were close to their white leadership. Um, to a degree, yeah, but no, it it was across the board, you know, even to this day, active duty leaders are stuck up and I'll be the first to say it. Um, I'm glad I came (laughs) off of active duty. Um, they don't have that personable, you know, personality. Um, the guard I'll tell you is much more family, like active duty is more corporate. Like it's just really weird. It's not just african-americans i i feel like it was across the board like you just don't you just didn't have your friend your friends weren't your leader your leaders weren't your friends so it didn't have anything to do with me being african-american but as an african-american female you think being able to go to this person and say hey i'm having this issue without them scolding you and trying to understand but no that didn't happen you know you had african-american females in leadership who turned their nose up at you like ugh, get away you know and I feel like a part of that is because of how rank structure goes and, you know, what they teach you. And it's really now that I've been in a guard for so long, I would have never gone back to active duty. You couldn't have paid me a million dollars <laughs> to go back. It was that much better. It's that much better. And most people are like, oh, the guard people don't do anything. Well, guess who deploys before active duty gets there? The guard right in on. the reserve. Right so, on. you know, it's like I love what I do, I love being in the military. I love all of my experiences. I haven't had many bad experiences, but I'll tell you that leadership and relationships with their their peers, I mean, with their uh, subordinates, that's a no-go. Now, tell me something you wish you had known before joining the service. You know, I wish I would have known that it would take me so much longer to get an education. Like, I just knew that once I joined, I was going to be able to go to school, like they promised, Mm -hmm. uh, all the commercials on TV, oh, education's free. Well, (laughs) I got out of the military after year number three, I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, and that's when I started going to college, because it was so hard. Um, When we worked, they would not let us off work to go to school. What? Um, Oh, yeah, it was terrible. 
and everything had to be after we got off work. And sometimes our schedules were in the afternoon. Like I worked in the gym, so our gym was 24-7. So we had night shift, we had day shift, we had mid shift. And it's just hard to work around it. And it was like going back to that African-American female leader that I had at that time, she was not very lenient on us going to school. Like we could work up to the umpteenth minute and be late for class and she didn't care. It was just really, it was hard for us. So, you know, I, I wish I would have known that it was going to be that hard for me because that was my expectation going into it. Once I realized that, you know what, this is not going to happen for me overnight. When I got out of the military, that's when I actually attacked going to school and getting my education. And I refused to, um, to stop. When I went back into the military as a guardsman three years later, they were like all for it. Right they on. very supportive of students going to school. Right on. Um, yeah, it was just way better. So I think that's the only thing that I would have changed. I uh, wish I would have known that before going, because I would have went to college first instead of waiting 10 years to become an officer. Right on, right on. So you would have gone guard the whole time if you had known. <laughs> no, I would have no? went to college first. Oh, okay. And became an officer first versus being enlisted and trying to go to college while I was enlisted. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. I know this next question is a little bit tough. So we can skip it or we, I can edit it out. It's all good. But the next question is, tell me a time you learned a lesson that you weren't ready to learn. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I have an example. <laughs> um, absolutely. So, you know, as a Sark, you know, and in the Sark who I was, I can't speak for all Sarks, but I was very much so involved with learning the law, learning the procedures, learning everything about everybody else who, else's job who interfaces with my job. Because I'm not just going to put somebody through this not knowing what other people are going to say, do, and what their rules and regulations are and what they're supposed to do. So I knew everybody's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I knew my stuff. I, I was not that person. As a matter of fact, I worked for headquarters, um, National Guard Bureau, because I knew my stuff. And so I went to trial with one of my clients, and we just knew that everything that we had been through and taught and all of that was going to be in her favor. Well, this particular client, they did not rule in her favor. They didn't rule in the command's favor either. This person was able to walk away, no disciplinary actions. Wow. That was the toughest thing that I ever had to learn. The lesson that I learned in that was, even though that you are 100% right, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the world is not going to accept what's 100% wrong. You're going to win or you're going to lose. It's it depends on who does it benefit the most. Right. Right. And that was that was a very tough lesson to learn. Yeah. It's like, man, you know, all the right things yeah. and still nothing. Mm. Do you feel that you are a better leader than the ones you grew under? I do. I feel like in in certain aspects, I do feel like I'm a better leader because of the leadership that I had. Um, Not that I'm any better than any person. No, but (laughs) do I have more tools? I probably do because they taught me things that they didn't have. Um, Do I, am I able to make decisions differently? Absolutely. Because I'm a different type of leader. Whereas like I go back to the chief who was my boss and who thought I was the biggest witch of the unit, but <laughs> he taught me to lead with my head and not with my heart. Initially, I learned to lead with both. Good. That is what sets me aside from the leaders who I was under because the leaders who I was under was always leading with their head and the knowledge that they had mm. at the time. Myself, leading with my head and my heart. They have to match up. Especially in your field. Sexual assault yes. prevent? Yeah, especially in the service field. Yes. Yes. Right on. So I feel like that's what makes me a better leader. It it absolutely does. <laughs> You're a human. You're a whole person. And you bring yes. you bring that whole human aspect to the job. Yeah. Good. 
especially in HR, you're working with other people, other humans. You have to be, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to use your head and your heart. You're not dealing with robots right. here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you have to be moral, you know, you have to have somewhat of a moral compass and know that this is the right thing to do. I know this commander is saying, kick this person out right now. But commander, let me fast forward to you five months from now when this person files a congressional and who's going to have to answer it and what process we're going to have to go through. And if you could just make this decision right here, it won't make it that hard. Like just trying to get everybody to lead with the policy, but also what is right Mm -hmm. to do what's right. So that, that makes a difference. It does. It absolutely does. Right on. Are there any sisters in service that inspire you? That's past, present. Yeah, my mom, Miss Lisa Spotwood, <laughs> most definitely. Um, you know, just watching her do everything. Like, she was the end-all, be-all. She's the first, you know, person, first Master Chief to retire out of the career field that she was in at her unit. Like, why not want to, you know... Um, <laughs> emulate that she was great at what she does i'll tell you um (laughs) obama's that is that's leadership for every african-american not just females like watching his wife be so poised in everything that she did i mean hell it helped me in my marriage like (laughs) I, i don't always have to wring my neck i don't always have to raise my voice you know I can walk with much grace and still get my point across. So those are some. That is a graceful lady. Look, you name, yeah. you name some heavy hitters, Lisa Spotwood and Michelle Obama. As- oh, absolutely. I love it. You know, I don't see much of Kamala. However, when I do see her, she's not cussing folks out. Like, you know, um, the country's still running, whether people <laughs> like it or not. And I can most definitely appreciate that. <laughs> you said, well, the country's still running <laughs> at a bare minimum. It's not dead yet. <laughs> exactly. We still here, y'all. <laughs> we still here, y'all. We're not going nowhere. Get used to seeing us. Okay? <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's say you were just starting your life on your own. And you were presented with the chance to join the service for the first time. Knowing what you know now, would you still join? And would you still join the Air Force? Absolutely. I would only join the Air Force. I have no (laughs) desire to join any other branch because I've worked with them all. And oh my God, don't want to go there. Um, But I would most definitely, yeah, I would most definitely join however i would say that i wouldn't join under the under the incentives that we had at the time like just going to school that was that was probably the bare minimum for me because my parents were like hey we can't afford to pay for you to go to college so i didn't have a choice almost in the matter but if i would have known more if i would have known that i could go to college and become an officer and make these decisions because i was born a leader i wasn't just taught to lead and so I feel like it kind of held me back a little bit mm-hmm. coming in pre-college. Mm-hmm. But I will also state that there is a time and a place for everything. And that was God's purpose for my life. He needed me to go through everything that I went through as an enlisted member so that I could be the best officer for the people who I led as an officer. So would I have joined? Yes, I would have. Knowing what I know now, I still would have joined. But just wanting to make sure that you know, it was all said and done as it was presented to me. All right. All right. I dig it. I'm going to go ahead and edit that part out where you said you would only join the Air Force. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Only join the Air Force. Let me tell you, the Army is definitely not on the, not. So you wouldn't join the Space Force? Come on now. They're the okay, space... so space, you said Space Force? Sa- yes. Absolutely. I would, I would definitely join the Space Force. See? <laughs> but see, the Space Force wasn't around when I, you know, when I came in. We always forget that that branch exists. <laughs> Here's the thing. As a former Coast Guard guardsman, I love the existence of the Space Force because we are no longer at the bottom. We are no longer the most forgotten branch. Like, there's a new, there's a new branch to forget. <laughs> 
not only that, I think one of the things about the Space Force is that when when the Space Force came about, all of our directives that we get changed. So they are now DAFIs. What's a DF? It's, it's, um, yeah, so it's the Department of the Air Force, and the Space Force is the Department of Space Force. <laughs> so it's like... Oh my gosh, this is crazy. But um, yeah, I would I would love to join the Space Force. I mean, I think it's a cool opportunity. You'll do a lot more, you know, a lot more things that aren't, you know, yeah. um, tangible. I think it's just, for me, it's a lot more brain power there. Yeah, yeah. The next question is, if you had a daughter, but you already said that you do. So if you had a daughter or any young impressionable black girl in your life that you cared about, and she was considering a life in the military. Would you try to talk her out of joining? Absolutely not. <laughs> I have two daughters. Get it. Um, Congratulations. I, yes. I have, a, I have an older daughter. She phenomenal, very smart young lady. Military was not in her vocabulary at all. I have a younger daughter. Phenomenal, smart young lady. <laughs> military is not in their vocabulary. However, I will tell you that if... Any woman or any girl comes to me and wants to join the military, I will absolutely encourage them to do so. Number one, the military offers you lifetime benefits, no matter whether you retire or not. You are a veteran the day you sign up and the day you get out. You serve one day, you're a veteran. Mm -hmm. Number two, the military also offers you a level of discipline that your mom, dad, sister, brother, cousins, the world is not going to be able to give you. It's a different perspective on what things are in life. And number three, I believe that every experience is controllable. Your experience could either be good or bad because of your mindset. You have to be in control of your own experiences. You have to make the best of whatever it is that you put yourself in. So I would never talk anyone out of joining the military because it's great opportunity to serve. Number one, I joined to serve the military, but number two, I realized that I really joined to serve my God. And so therefore this gives you opportunity to do what you've been called to do wearing the uniform, looking like everybody else. So there is no judgment there. So I wouldn't dare talk anyone out of going, uh, joining the military, no matter what branch it is. (laughs) Thank you for throwing that in. <laughs> Thank you, Captain. <laughs> I actually have some kids who come talk to me all the time. All of my kids' keep friends, they always talk to me about the military and whether they should join or not and what the good things are and the bad things are. And I'm straight up with everybody. Good. And there are two or three kids that are that have left here and joined the military. One just turned 20, and he just joined the Army, and I'm so proud of him. Nice. Um, it's, they don't have to join the Air Force. But just be a part of something that's bigger than you. And that's going to make life a lot better for everybody. I heard that. All right. Uh, I'm actually, I'm sorry I didn't ask you this, like, at the top of the interview. Um, Are you the first woman in your uh, family to join the military? Yes. Okay. First and only. First and only. (laughs) Yep. Right on. Right on. Um, Oh, here's our next one. Is there anything you would like to leave our audience with? Anything that I missed? No. I think, <laughs> I think I've said all. I've said enough, I think. <laughs> uh, do you, you said you had a, a business though, right? Is that, yes. some, is that something so, you would, yeah. That's something you want to plug? I'm here for it. Well, I, I will definitely plug that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So, you know, I did retire from the military and then I resigned my civil service position um, because they were attached to at the hip. And I wanted to make sure that when I separated, I separated it um, all so I can be 100 percent home with my family. I can, you know, be present for them. And not just when I'm, you know, present for them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. I can emotionally be present for them. Um, And then so the last five years, I, you know, started my business. It's Bundles for You. It is, I um, basically make cakes and candy apples and all those things. And I custom 
make them to ensure that each customer has everlasting memories of their event and their occasion. Nice. Um, You make sweet treats. I do. I make all (laughs) kinds of sweet treats. Um, But I will also tell you that my mother had cancer during my military career. Okay. Uh, First when I was in Japan and I wasn't able to get home and and she went back to go through that by herself. And then um, three years before uh, 2017, she found out she had cancer again, and I was living in Maryland at that time for the entire year. I came home to make sure that I could support her. I didn't extend my orders. Um, and um, while I was taking care of my mom, she did endure some challenges. She had some medical issues, but I was her caregiver. I was her nurse every single day. Um, I even went to work every single day. But when I come home, mom wasn't ready to sleep, and I looked after her and during that time I would bake I would you know create all these great things for people (laughs) Um, I was up in the wee hours of the night uh then she's like well why don't you make this a business you know (laughs) and I did October of 2017 I officially made it a business but um mom passed away in 2020 I'm very sorry to hear that and uh, thank you and she loved to watch me do what I do And I love to see the responses of my customers and every person I've come in contact with, with the things that I've done for them. Um, So even though I retired from the military and I no longer serve in that capacity, God has allowed me to serve my community and serve each and every customer with the most precious and memorable things um, that they can enjoy from a eyesight to touching it, to eating it. Um, (laughs) and they'll always remember it. And so, you know, my business has been thriving and, um, I am looking forward to retiring from this in the next 20 years. Nice. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Do you have a website or an IG page or a Twitter? Like plug it all. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yes. The Tell us where we can find is you. www.bundles, the number four, and then uyou.com. And then the IG and Facebook page is Bundles for You Sweet Treats. Um, hit me up. I'm pretty much responsive 24-7. <laughs> I deliver. I also ship nice. most items. Um, I actually shipped some collard greens Get it. and a whole Thanksgiving meal to a family this past Thanksgiving in Alabama. So come on, I, and there is no limits to what I can do. Yo, um, it still keeps me connected to my military community, which we all need connectedness and we all need our military communities. Even when we do retire, I'm able to, you know, support the retirement ceremonies with cakes and cupcakes and all the things that, you know, make that memory for them. Um, and make it great for them. So if you are, you know, uh, looking for someone to create something very special for you and custom to whatever it is that you like, please look no further. I'm the person for you. I can make it happen. <laughs> That's Ashanta Murphy, uh, bundles for you. And I'm gonna go ahead and put a little link in the, uh, in the comment section of this, uh, posting and, uh, I don't know, probably some pictures too. That'd be, you got pictures. Of course you got pictures. You got an IG page, you got a Twitter, you got, you got the website. So I'll link, I'll link that in the, uh, in the bio and the, in the comment section of this, uh, of this posting. Yeah. Awesome. Heck yeah. Y'all go ahead and look her up now and get you something sweet to eat now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, get a know, bundle for you. I did, one of the things I did this year was I actually sent cookies to APO addresses overseas. And nice. so, yeah, that it, and you know, while the customer, you know, they were, it was $25. However, it was free shipping and the shipping was $22. So really what? the only thing that they paid for was $3 for, um, the cookies that I sent. So I really, you know, from the bottom of my heart, oh, you love just this. making sure that people, you know, are celebrated in the times that they can't be with their families. Nice. And y'all, if this business blows up real, real big, don't expect her to keep doing that because that's, that's a very expensive business move now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't keep doing that. 
Look, because look, I, I as we all know, APO addresses are hard to ship to. Like not everybody uh, ships. Right. Not everybody ships out there. That's very kind of you. So uh, y'all go ahead and hit her up. Uh, get get a bundle for you. <laughs> check out our IG page. Uh, check out check out our sweet treats. Uh, check out her bundles for you. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave us with, Captain? Nope, that's it. <laughs> Captain, it was lovely speaking to you. Uh, this was insightful and informative, and I do appreciate you sitting down, taking the time, putting me in your schedule. I do appreciate uh, your energy and your story. This was this was amazing, and I I do appreciate you. Um, Thank you so much for the time and the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm here for it. Um, And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. And we're going to wrap it up now. Bye. And that concludes this episode of the Season Vet Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And a special thank you to Captain Murphy for sharing her story and taking the time to make this interview possible. Now... If you are or know a black lady veteran who would like to sit down with me and be a part of this show, please email me at seasonvetpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call or text message me at 713-254-0970. You can also find, follow, and inbox me, the Season Vet, across all platforms of social media. At Real Season Vet on Twitter. At Season Vet Podcast on Instagram. At Season Vet Podcast on TikTok. At Season Vet on YouTube, Season Vet on Facebook. Y'all, I'm so out there, I'm even on Spoutable. That's at the Season Vet on Spoutable. Now, if you like what you heard, please like it, share it, rate it, and leave a good review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you're hearing this episode on the day that it drops, then you're listening to it on February 26, 2024. Today is the 98th anniversary of Theodore Tiger Flowers becoming the first black middleweight champion of the world in 1926. On this day in 1985, Tina Turner took home three Grammys, one for her hit song, Better Be Good To Me, and two for her monster hit song, What's Love Got To Do With It. Today is also Erica Badu's 52nd birthday. Thank you again for tuning in, and until next time, fall out.